Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts sitting still you know this is part of this high energy kid you have this kid who just jumps around like the moment their eyes open they're just like a mile a minute whether it's talking at three or going from activity to activity this is more educational for anyone listening who has a child who's younger a one-year-old to two-year-old i'm going to say right now you have to have the expectation that they are not going to sit still one to two is a very big time of they are exploring their world and they're going to jump 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 um they'll play with one activity play with another and so many times parents will get very frustrated or stressed because they feel like their toddler one to two-year-old should be able to follow an activity for a long time Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I am Dr. Mona and thank you for joining me each and every week for all of your reviews and ratings. This is how the podcast continues to grow to be one of the top 50 parenting podcasts in the United States. On this episode, I chat with a mother in the Peds Doc Talk community about the high energy level of her toddler. Is this typical? Is this something that's a concern? Remember that if you are a parent to an infant or have a toddler, I am launching toddler workshops the first week of May 2023. So if you're listening to this before then, make sure you get on our email list via the link in bio to find out all about these amazing courses coming your way. And if you're listening to this after May 1st, make sure you grab these courses today. I have three toddler courses and an ebook, one on picky eating, food refusal, and feeding toddlers, one on potty training, one on toddler behavior and tantrums, and an ebook on toddler development. And the conversation I have with Janelle is just a little sample of what's in that ebook. Like I said, we're talking all about high energy toddlers, what is typical. And on this episode, we are talking about impulse control and attention span of toddlers under four, what to expect questions a clinician would ask in evaluating a hyperactive toddler and what not to do between one and two years of age when your child lacks any impulse control. Let's get to the conversation. Hey, Janelle, welcome to the show. So tell me, what is on your mind today as a mom? Yeah, thanks, Dr. Mona, for having me on today. So I guess basically, I'm just kind of wondering, I have an almost three-year-old and what is normal as far as energy level? Like, is it normal for her to have this much energy? And at what point do you kind of think like, maybe do we assess this further? Mm, very good question. And one that I think I've asked my husband a lot of the times too. This yeah. is a topic that I think many parents can relate to because so much of development is 
quote unquote typical. Uh, and some of it can be atypical where we're like, okay, this is normal for a three-year-old to be acting like this or a two-year-old, but when does it become an issue or a concern that needs further evaluation, which is what it sounds like you want to know more of? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So this is right in that time frame where I get a lot of these questions and concerns, you know, the under three, three and a half crowd where parents are like, whoa. And, you know, we're talking about high energy. Do you also feel like with that high energy, she's not able to sit still? Like, do you feel like she goes quickly from activity to activity or do you feel like there is some degree or maybe some improvement in attention span also? Yeah. So it kind of depends on what she's doing. She absolutely loves doing puzzles. So sometimes mm -hmm. she'll sit for like, 15, 20 minutes at a time doing a puzzle. But okay. then like once she's done with the puzzles, maybe she'll go and she'll play in her little kitchen. And then like before long from the kitchen, she goes to, you know, another activity. So there's definitely jumping around, but it kind of depends on, you know, what it is. And she loves reading books. So like at nighttime, she'll sit really nicely. Okay. You know, before bed when we read a couple books. So she definitely seems like she has the ability to do it, but I guess is this just age, you know, related. I love that you're already talking about things that I like to ask questions about, which is the ability to sit still and focus on a activity. And we have to respect the fact that I do not expect a toddler at this age to sit through every activity, but there are activities exactly. she does. Like you said, puzzles, a book. This is really great information to hear. So since we're talking about this, I figured it's a useful time to talk about what's typical and atypical for ages, right? We're obviously talking about a three-year-old, but I think, you know, talking about this high energy concept, I want to talk about normalcy in what we should expect of a child, how long they should sit still, because that's part of this and also impulse control. So mm -hmm. sitting still, you know, this is part of this high energy kid. You have this kid who just jumps around, like the moment their eyes open, they're just like a mile a minute, whether it's talking at three or going from activity to activity. This is more educational for anyone listening who has a child who's younger. A one-year-old to two-year-old, I'm going to say right now, you have to have the expectation that they are not going to sit still. One to two is mm -hmm. a very big time of, they are exploring their world and they're going to jump, 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 jump. Um, they'll play with one activity, play with another. And so many times parents will get very frustrated or stressed because they feel like their toddler, one to two-year-old, should be able to follow an activity for a long time. But as we know, if we've been there, and I'm sure you had the same experience, they are going to go and jump from activity to activity very fast. So that is really normal between one and two. Did you notice that with your daughter between one and two, that her attention span was very short? Oh, for sure. I yes. remember recently I was looking back through some pictures and I was just like, wow, she was so busy. Like I remember just being exhausted at the end of every day yes. because it was like, just feel like I was constantly chasing after her. Yes. And this can be really hard. You know, one thing I always say to my families between this age is we also want to be careful at this age because they are so busy. Sometimes parents will lean a little bit too heavily on screen time between one and two because they'll tell me, well, doctor, the only time they listen or pay attention mm -hmm. is if mm -hmm. I put a screen in front of them. And we know from a developmental standpoint that I don't mind co-watching at this age if you're co-watching and pointing out language or things together. Yeah. But yeah. the goal is not for them to sit still in a screen. Like, that's not what I want them to do. That's actually not beneficial to them if you're watching TV with them. So just a little thing for anyone listening who may be in that one to two year time frame, and you're like, well, oh my gosh, like the screen is a savior. It's okay to use it if you need it for like little things here and there, maybe at a restaurant, or maybe you need it for, you know, exceptions and it's not the rule, but be careful that you're not utilizing it too much between this age to help them focus or sit still because that's not what we want. We expect a one to two year old to be a busy 
body. Like that is very normal. And then two-year-olds, so now we're dealing with like a two to three-year-old, you may start to see one to maybe four minutes of sitting still. And I put that as a big range because it is a big range. One to four minutes is a big range that a child who's sitting for one minute is just as typical as a child who's sitting for four minutes. And I'm talking about activities that interest them. Like just say your daughter loved puzzles at two, she may be focused on that. But then after maybe two minutes, she's like, eh, I'm going to move to something else. And I love what you said that now that she's three, you said that she did a puzzle for 15 minutes. Yeah. She has a set that has like multiple puzzles in one box and okay. in one sitting, she can do at least three or four of them. So yeah. Beautiful. It's amazing to so see. Great. Yeah. When I look back at pictures, I'm like, there has been improvement, but still like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I guess at what point do you continue to, you know, hope for more or like longer attention span? Yeah. Yeah. And so I do believe that the pivotal time is three years old. So between three and four is when I see this start to usually improve. And when I say improve, I'm not saying that they're going to listen to everything, be this perfect little sitting angel. That's not the expectation, but you're going to see improvement from that obviously one-year-old. And it sounds like we're seeing that. And your daughter, um, her ability to focus on puzzles for 15 minutes is actually on the higher range of focus, which is awesome. A three-year-old, I'd expect anywhere from five to 15 minutes of sitting still, right? Meaning maybe focusing on an activity. So you're right in that range and in a good way. And do you feel like maybe things have changed as she approached three? Yeah, I do feel like even especially within just either the last couple of weeks, I'm like, okay, that there's um, a positive change. So that's why I kept thinking, like hoping maybe, maybe just the age. Yes. Yeah. Well, I love this because like you said, a year ago or maybe six months ago, you were like, well, is this normal? And maybe now you're feeling a little bit like, okay, I see this is very typical. Things are improving in terms of sitting still. And we'll talk about impulse control in just a second, but this is a very common question. And I say this because me even understanding child development, when I had my own child and saw it happen in front of me, I also questioned the normalcy of it. I'm like, okay, I know that a 14 month old can't sit still, but come on, like this is like a lot. (laughs) And and that's why I really want to normalize that because this is a very common concern. So I'm happy that you feel like things are improving, but it's really important because maybe someone listening to this is like, you know what? I have a three and a half year old and he or she is not sitting and I'm sure. not able to get them to focus on anything that interests them, right? Then there should be a conversation with a clinician on further evaluation. And then I'm also going to talk about impulse control. Obviously, when we talk about impulse control, this is like them being able to be patient or let's talk about like turn taking or them understanding that they're not supposed to do something and like not jumping off the side of a couch, right? We mm-hmm. have to understand that it kind of goes hand in hand with sitting still that a one-year-old, you just cannot expect them to understand what's forbidden and also this impulsive behavior. A two-year-old kind of along the lines of now they're sitting still a little bit more. We can't expect them to consistently understand but maybe there is some ability to manage behaviors Mm -hmm. and teach, right? Like teach them more in that two to three year range of you say that, you know, we can't do that, but we can do this. And it's clicking a little bit more than it did at one. And I'm sure you saw that as well. Yes. Yeah. And then three, like, I mean, I'm telling you, I love three-year-olds because it's like something happens in that brain at three years old. And a lot of it is the cognitive development, right? Their cognitive development is really skyrocketing between the ages of one to four. But at three, there's a lot of understanding of their autonomy. There's a lot of cognitive understanding that they actually can understand 
why a little bit more, right? We can't expect them to understand when a certain behavior is not allowed. And they also have better impulse control than that two-year-old. Yes, they may not be able to always take their turn or share. That's not an expectation at this age, but I'm talking like you see a bunch of preschoolers, like a bunch of three-year-olds. You should be able to sit in a circle at three and listen to a teacher tell something like a story with Mm -hmm. a group of kids. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ertube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c If you're listening to this and your three-year-old is just not able to sit and listen to a teacher or maybe some other caregiver read a story, 
I'm talking like the five minutes that we mentioned for the sitting still, Mm -hmm. then we need to dig a little further of, okay, is this something that needs an evaluation? And the evaluation that me and Janelle are talking about is more so does there need to be an evaluation for ADD, ADHD, so hyperactivity, inattentiveness, something that is a reality. You know, a lot of people do have neurodiversity and that means, um, you know, ADHD. And so that's kind of, I think, what your understanding and question was about, right? My husband was on medication. I mean, that would have been like in the mid 80s. So, mm-hmm. you know, was it more prescribed then? I don't know. He doesn't remember that he was actually ever diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, but he remembers taking medication for a few years while he was at school. So, yeah, I guess we don't have a lot of history from his mother who passed away. But anyway, so with that kind of in mind, is there something to kind of watch for, I guess? Yeah, I think this is such a great conversation because absolutely there is a genetic familial history link between ADHD and obviously offspring and siblings. Like there's a lot of data, obviously there's a bunch of research out there, but between twins, like if your daughter had a twin, there is a 70 to 80% chance that if one twin has it, the other twin is probably going to have it too. Obviously the diagnosis usually will happen at the same time or maybe a little later. Um, So that's really strong, right? 70 Mm -hmm. to 80% with a parent to a child, the data is kind of all over the place, but it's a range of 50 to 70%. So that's actually pretty high, right? So if an adult has it, then the child tends to have it. And in Interestingly, similar to autism, right? Autism is also a neurodiverse condition. Interestingly, women with ADHD are less likely to be diagnosed because somehow, either from parenting or other societal things, they don't have as much of the obvious symptoms. So it's a very interesting concept. We don't understand why it happens so much, but it is a reality that yes, if a family member has it, especially we're talking like a mom or dad or, you know, genetic mom or dad, that yes, the child could also have a 50% chance that they'll have it as well. So like I have a husband who does from my perception have ADHD. He also feels the same. He's never been on medication for it, but he has chosen a career ER physician that has been able to foster his ADHD Mm -hmm. brain, right? He's able to go to one thing and then the other, and then the other, and, you know, lacks impulse control for being a 30, whatever year old. So I do see it in my husband. He also agrees. He never got an official diagnosis. It sounds like your husband that is kind of unsure about the diagnosis, the medication, but when my son was younger, I had the same thing as you in that I knew my husband was this way. And I, you know, we'd see our son doing all this hyperactivity, sort of inability to sit still, mm-hmm. high energy. And I would observe and not get worried because I'm like, look, if he has it, he has it. It's not like I can stop this, right? Exactly. And I would exactly. just observe. And that's what we're talking about here, right? There's nothing we can do or diagnose under the age of four. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, my three-year-old is like off the wall. I want you to talk to your clinician only because I want them to ask about, sleep and we'll get into that other developmental milestones how are they eating because all of those things can also have an impact on hyperactivity as well and high energy but if they're otherwise you know sleeping well eating a balanced variety of food developing beautifully in terms of motor skills cognitive and language there really Mm -hmm. is nothing that can be diagnosed or evaluated under the age of four the child has to be at least 
four to five years old for us to even make a diagnosis of ADHD. That doesn't mean that a three-year-old whose parents are like at their wits end of hyperactivity and concern of lack of impulse control has no support. That's why I want the conversations to be happening so that a parent feels supported and that if they're feeling overwhelmed that this something's up, they can at least maybe get some therapy, like a psychologist or an evaluation of their development, you know, just to make sure all is good. But this is important conversations because I was there too, in that I knew that there was a family history. I'm observing. I'm not going like, oh my gosh, she has it. He has it. But me and my husband would talk about it, right? Like my husband would say, wow, he's really high energy. And I say, you know, you were the same way. Sounds like yeah. your daughter <laughs> follows like your husband. Yes. You're the same way. And we're just going to watch. We can't do anything. We're just going to foster his development and monitor. And I was waiting for that three and a half closer to four. And you know, in our experience, I did see that sort of improvement in the sitting still, improvement in the impulse control, which is what we would expect as that child approaches four years old, as their cognitive development obviously is still developing, but their brain really is developing a lot in impulse control and sitting still by the age of four. And if we're not seeing that child who's still like only able to sit two minutes or a four-year-old who literally cannot understand turn-taking at all or, you know, forbidden behaviors, then we definitely Mm -hmm. want to evaluate further. And it's a big picture evaluation to talk about, like I said, how is the everything going, the family unit, the feeding, the sleep development and all of that. Sure. Yeah. And I am exactly how you feel, you know, like that it's not that it makes me like scared if she would have something, but it's just more like, being aware of what, you know, of your husband or your partner, whatever, and what their history could be. And also, yeah, it's not even being afraid. It's more just being aware and being able to advocate if you need to, right? Because I love this conversation, Janelle, because it's like one of these situations that absolutely we can say things are normal and likely it is. And absolutely it could be typical that a child would do this. But as parents, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say to ourselves, is this typical behavior of a child's development? And that's why we're chatting. Or is this something that I need to intervene on? Yeah. Because that's our role as parents. So I love this. I think it's so great. And yeah. yeah, so we talked about the family history, which I think is an important concept. And for your daughter, what I'm happy to hear is that we are able to sit still. And then I already alluded to it. If someone's listening and goes to their pediatrician or clinician about high activity levels, they should be asking you about feeding, like I mentioned. And what I mean by feeding is, let's use your daughter as an example. Does she sit to eat meals? Is she eating diverse foods? Like, is she very selective or is she somewhat having a diversity in her palate? Yeah, no, she has overall been a really good eater. I mean, probably like maybe eight months ago. I mean, she had just been in a booster, like at pulled up to the table, but I took that booster off. And so she's just sitting on a big chair. So She definitely has more freedom now. So she'll sit there for a while and then she'll jump away and then she'll come back. And I'm trying to like be more consistent about, well, if you get up, like you need to stay at the table and eat, but she does eat a very well-balanced diet, I feel like. Well, I love hearing that because, you know, if I'm concerned about high activity level, high energy level. So I'm going to be asking about that. So that's wonderful to hear. The other thing is about sleep. So do you feel like she sleeps at least 10 to 12 hours at night? Yeah, I usually aim between 7.30 and 8, and then she sleeps till 7, 7.30 in the morning. So Okay, any naps at this age, or it's a hit or miss? She does. For the most part, she okay. still naps hour and a half to two hours sometimes. Sometimes okay. she doesn't, but for the most part, she's still a pretty good napper, yeah. 
oh, this is like Ryan in a girl form because it's exactly the same situation. Like sleeps yeah. at night. The moment his eyes open, it's like, I call Ryan my hype guy. Like he wakes up in like the fire of a thousand suns. Like he's just like ready to start yeah. his day, but then he sleeps, which is a really protective and good thing. So even when me and my husband would talk about hyperactivity or, you know, is this typical? I would always say, you know, this is actually really good that he does sleep. Now, every child has different sleep needs. Like I say the range of 10 to 12 hours, because yes, at three years old, I'd expect let's use even nine to 12 hours at night. If they're very tired, they could sleep 13 hours. That's fine. But if we're dealing with a child who is high energy, like the parents reporting, and there's not good sleep, I'm talking like eight hours broken, 10 to 12 hours, meaning they wake up and they're up for an hour and then they can't go back to sleep. There Mm -hmm. is a concern there that we have to evaluate a chicken or the egg situation. Is it that they're not sleeping because they're hyperactive or are they hyperactive because they're not sleeping? And this is what I'm talking about, that these conversations are really important if a child's not sleeping, because is it a medical thing? Like, is there something like snoring and sleep apnea? Like, are Mm -hmm. they snoring a lot? Is it that we're not creating and teaching the child boundaries with sleep or are they really just unable to fall asleep? And so, you know, we definitely like to know these things. And so for anyone listening who feels like, wow, like I have a kid who's super higher active and they're just not sleeping at all. Like you just feel like they're just not getting good sleep. Sleep is disconnected. There's no naps. There's no structure. It is a good conversation to chat with clinician or even like a sleep consultant to talk about the sleep, you know, sleep is a foundation for me. It's very important. I'm not asking every family to sleep train or whatever it is that gets your kid to sleep. It's so important to me because it also is a health marker for me. Like I said, it can tell us a lot about a child if they're not sleeping and they're three-year-old or four-year-old, well, what's going on? And as we know in pediatrics, like if a child of the age of four or five and above, like school-age kids, if they're not sleeping well, it can make hyperactivity symptoms worse. So many Mm -hmm. times we diagnose hyperactivity as ADHD, when in reality, we realize after digging that the child is going to bed at midnight and it hasn't been hyperactivity all along, or maybe it's a portion of it, but it was actually the, the lack of sleeping. And so sleep hygiene is an important concept. It sounds like your daughter has that, but I wanted to mention that to the listeners because that combined with the meals, right? Like again, diversity of meals. I understand a three-year-old is going to want to get up sometimes. It's very normal for them to do that. You're being very consistent yeah. with your boundary of, okay, if you get up, that means your meal's done. Are you done? And very consistent with that. And their intake can fluctuate. We know that yes. after the age of one, yeah. you know, your daughter could be eating like a whole pizza. And then the next day is like, I don't want pizza. So it's yeah. Very normal, very normal for their intake to fluctuate. But I'm hearing a lot of good things. Like I said, sleep and feeding. And then it sounds like developmentally, you feel like she's meeting language milestones, motor milestones and other like she's doing puzzles, which is great at three, but other cognitive milestones. Yeah, I would say awesome. for sure. Yeah, she talks all day from morning to night. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. And I also relating back to that sleep, I do notice, you know, once in a while, if she skips a nap, it's like at night, she's so hyperactive. Yeah. I think, is it because they're kind of like, she's trying to keep herself awake almost yes. like, <laughs> yeah, it is a huge, like, I can definitely see how that could be misdiagnosed. Oh, absolutely. Another side note is I do feel like a lot of parents think that they drop the nap too early. Like a lot of families, when the toddler starts having a nap strike around 18 months, I'll actually say closer to two years, between 18 months to two and a half, toddlers can have nap strikes where all of a Mm -hmm. sudden they were taking their one nap and they stop 
wanting to do it. But my yeah. advice for everyone listening is please remember that that is actually really young for a lot of toddlers to be dropping naps. I want you to still offer it. It doesn't mean that they're going to take it every day, but we need to at least offer it. And if not, then it's going to be some quiet time. They're going to, you know, maybe on their own, they can sing to themselves. You don't have to force them down to sleep, but it's, yeah. we need to at least offer it because you're right. If a child doesn't nap and they really actually probably needed that nap and weren't offered it, the evenings can have that witching hour, right? That dysregulation, that sort of like, I'm tired and overstimulated and it all goes back to sleep needs, right? Every child is different. So someone listening could say, I swear, I dropped the nap at two and a half. They didn't need it. They're completely fine in the afternoon. But your kid sounds like a lot of kids that I see in that, yes, if they don't get it, then they can have a little more hyperactivity dysregulation in the afternoon, which is completely within normal limits of what I expect. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love talking to you about this. I hope this was helpful. I know obviously this conversation was more educational, if anything, but I love chatting about this. I think it's such an important aspect of child development and it's my passion. So I hope that you feel a little more reassured because it sounds like in this situation, it's something that you can continue to monitor. Nothing that I feel is outwardly a concern right now. And like we said, you're going to continue to watch everything should improve in terms of impulse control, sitting still as the months and years go by. And I think you're going to see that. Yeah, I definitely, um, even like I mentioned earlier, over the last couple of weeks, I've seen positive signs. So that was really, you know, made me happy and glad to see. So we'll just hope that uh, as she continues to get older, that yeah, it will continue to improve. Thank you for joining me for this episode. As always, make sure you leave a review or rating if you found it helpful. Share it on social media. Tag me because that is how this podcast continues to grow. And if you are a toddler parent, don't forget to grab my amazing toddler resources available May 1st, 2023. That includes three toddler courses and an ebook, which encompasses so much in those toddler years between one and four years of ages. And if you have a baby, don't forget the new mom survival guide, which goes over everything you need to know for that first year of life. Thank you for joining me and I cannot wait to have more conversations about child health development and parenting on this show, the Peds Doc Talk podcast. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel.